0: Welcome to a Big Heart, a podcast about living with heart disease. I'm Mike Papali, and I'm the president and founder of In a Heartbeat, a nonprofit organization with the mission to prevent death from sudden cardiac arrest. I witnessed sudden cardiac arrest at age 17, and have been living with heart disease for over a decade. This podcast will dissect the physical and emotional obstacles of living with heart disease and how to overcome them. I'm inviting you to join me on my personal journey of living as a heart disease patient. The ultimate goal of this podcast is to help heart disease patients of all ages live a long and normal life.
1: Welcome everyone to the next episode of A Big Heart, a podcast about living with heart disease. A Big Heart is powered by In A Heartbeat. In A Heartbeat is a nonprofit organization with the mission to prevent death from sudden cardiac arrest. This is done by donating AEDs, providing CPR and AED training, raising money for research projects, providing support to patients, and offering free ECGs to children, teens, and young adults. To learn more about In a Heartbeat, visit www.inaheartbeat.org. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm really excited for this week's episode. I think it's a very, very interesting episode that a lot of heart disease patients and sudden cardiac arrest survivors have gone through at some point in their lives. Um, Just to recap, um, if you haven't listened to the last few weeks, I strongly suggest you do so. We have some awesome interviews with some different patients. Uh, Luke Ferraro, uh, a young long QT syndrome patient. Uh, Hannah Kime, a young hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patient. And we also have some discussions on some great topics um, like exercise with Angela Hartley from Healthy Hearties. So I strongly suggest that you go back, uh, listen to those episodes, because I think they provide some great value for you um, as a patient. Um, and, and I think there's bits and pieces from each one and each person's story and knowledge that you can take and you can apply to your life, which of course is is the goal and, and what is really important here. So um, now uh, getting to this week, again, um, something that I think a lot of us have gone through um, and I'm gonna talk about the exact moment that it happened to me. And, and what we're talking about here is uh, we're gonna talk about losing something that you are passionate about after being diagnosed with heart disease. So whether it's a sport, uh, an activity, a hobby, whatever it is, we're talking about the feelings that come with losing something you're passionate about after your diagnosis. And for me, uh, what I lost was playing basketball. So uh, back in episode one, I told you all my story about my sudden cardiac arrest, which led to being diagnosed with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, Uh, but to take you back before my cardiac arrest, um, growing up, I had a dream in life, and that was to be a college basketball player. And I focused on that and nothing else. Um, it was my passion. It, it was my purpose. It was everything that mattered to me. And I spent every single day of my life, uh, probably after you know I was you know in, in, after middle school, probably starting in high school. Um, working towards this goal, so I spent all summer with my best friend working out in a gym. Uh, we spent hours just playing basketball, doing drills, lifting weights, uh, doing plyometrics, and trying to figure out whatever we could do. Because uh, his dream was the same as mine—to to make our uh, life's dream come true. Um, you know, I, I was playing on AAU basketball teams. I was playing on uh, travel teams. I was obviously playing on my high school teams, summer league teams. And I felt as though all the work that I was putting in was going to allow me to start getting recruited to play college basketball. Um, so as I, I was going through high school, I started to kind of see the development in my basketball game. You know, I was playing more. I was uh, a contributor on the varsity team right away. And, you know, I was starting uh, as a sophomore in my second year of high school. And as a junior, I was you know our team's leading score and helped us uh we made a great run in the state tournament, so you know I was starting to see my basketball dreams unfold, but again um my my ultimate goal was to play in college so between my junior and senior year of high school my a a u team was traveling to all these tournaments um they were like showcase events, so college coaches would come and they would watch us play and if they liked what they saw. They would start to uh, recruit you. In um, that summer, I started to get recruited to play college basketball. Um, this was back in 2006, so things were a little different than they are now. Uh, coaches weren't able to just text me, but they would send us letters in the mail, um, actual mail. Uh, they would send emails to my parents because in high school I did not have an email. Uh, you know, they'd call the house phone, and all, you know I was. It was uh, looking back, it's, it's funny to think about now, but in the moment, it was amazing for me to kind of feel like my dream was going to come true. Um, all the work I had put in had led to these coaches recruiting me, and I was going to be able to make the decision where I was going to go play basketball in college. And, um, you know, I, it was great, right? You, you know, you, you work your whole life for something, and you feel like it's going to come true, and I'm not going to obviously, you know, talk about my cardiac arrest, but at the end of that summer, I went into cardiac arrest. And, um, before I left at hospital, I was, uh, I was sitting there one day and my doctor came in and she said, Mike, I have good and bad news for you. She said the good news is that you went into sudden cardiac arrest and you survived. And she told me the statistics that, you know, the survivor is less than 10%, 365,000 people each year going to sudden cardiac arrest you know, and, and less than 10% of them are surviving. Um, the fact that there was no AED there, no CPR provided right away, your chances of survival were one in a million. Um, and this was the good news. Uh, and she said the bad news is that you will never ever play competitive basketball again. So obviously this was a discussion that she had with my parents beforehand and they discussed how they were gonna break the news to me because they knew how it would hurt me. Um, but in that moment, I have to say, you know, I was 17 years old and I had truly mixed feelings um, because you're sitting there and, and you have a doctor saying to you that you basically should have died a couple days ago. The fact that you're here is basically a miracle. Um, so obviously, I felt really lucky and I felt really blessed and, and fortunate to be alive and. Um, But on the flip side of that, I had like extreme anger and sadness and depression, uh, confusion, you know, frustration, you name it, right? Like I had all those feelings because, you know, I was not well-rounded as a kid. I didn't have a ton of other hobbies. I didn't, you know, play an instrument. I wasn't, you know, participating in theater. I didn't do any clubs after school. All I did was play basketball and I felt like at the age of 17, that my purpose in life was to play basketball. So I had to figure out what's next, because in that moment, when my doctor came in the room to break that bad news to me, um, that was it, it was over. And there was no arguing it, there was no coming back from it. My basketball career at the age of 17 was over. And there was absolutely nothing that I could do about it as much as I wanted to. Couldn't go back in time, couldn't change anything. Um, couldn't convince her to let me play. It, it was over. Um, so the first big decision that I had to make, um, you know, after coming home from the hospital was, do I wanna be around basketball at all? Um, do I wanna figure out a different way other than playing? Or do I wanna just kinda put basketball behind me because I won't be able to handle um, being around it because of these negative feelings that I had? So the short answer to this was, it was a pretty easy decision for me. And the only reason it was an easy decision was because my younger brother uh, was 13 years old at the time. And he was starting to become a very, very competitive basketball player, um, starting to train really, really hard. And his dream was to play basketball in college as well. So I knew because my brother and I are so very close, that I would always want to be around him and follow him on his journey to being a college basketball player. So it was an easy decision for me to stay involved and be around basketball for the simple fact that I wanted to be around my brother. Um, if if that wasn't a factor, you know, I, I think it might have been a tougher decision. Uh, I'm not quite sure that I would have wanted to um, be around the game. Uh, but again, the fact that my brother and I are so close and, and his love for basketball made it, made it easy for me. And I would never have put myself in a position where I was not going to his practices or not going to his games or not um, watching him work out or, or helping him out because I was angry that I couldn't play. Um, that's not how our relationship is. And um, you know, I would always, no matter what he was doing, wanna be around it. So um, that was a simple decision uh, to, to be around him. Uh, then my senior year of high school, you know, I had to make the decision of, do I want to be around the team? You know, how will it feel to sit on the sidelines while my friends and my teammates are playing and I'm not? So my high school coach gave me the opportunity to kind of just be like a student assistant, be around, help out, you know, sit on the bench, come to practice, and um, I agreed to it. Uh, But I have to say it was hard. You know, right when practice started, I had those feelings of jealousy, um, sadness, uh, anger that all my friends got to be out there playing and I had to sit on the sidelines. And then when games started, naturally as a teammate and as a competitor, you feel like you could be out there helping your team win games. And I couldn't do anything, I felt, from the sideline. Um, So again, I was trying to kind of figure out you know what my purpose of, of being with the team was because uh, I, r- I really didn't know and but that that experience and, and you know I when I was born my dad was a, a basketball coach and he coached my brother and I growing up and and uh, coaching I guess you could say was in my blood I just didn't really know how it how it was going to affect my life um, but that first experience my senior year of high school um, taught me that there are ways to be around the game that I love without actually playing. And I think that's important for everybody to be, understand. Right? If you love something that you've lost because of heart disease or because of a cardiac arrest, there are other ways to be around it other than the way that you were prior. Um, and if it's something that you wanna pursue, you always can do that. And you can still have, for me, um, the competitive drive um, the uh, strategizing to win a game, the, uh, the feeling of winning a game, you know, as hard as it is sometimes, the feeling of losing games. Um, you know, I thrived on that as a competitor and, you know, just being around the team, uh, my senior year of high school and uh, showed me that there are ways to still get those uh, feelings that you get from playing uh, just in a different way. Um, so I graduated from high school and when I went off to college, Uh, My dad and a a few uh, friends that we worked on summer camp with convinced me to reach out to the head coach at the university that I was attending to see if I could be involved with the team as a student manager. Um, And my first reaction to this was there's no way I want to be the manager because the manager is a kid that can't play and the manager is a kid that wasn't good enough. And I felt like I was good enough. I felt like I should be playing. So I didn't want to do this, but they... They gave me a hard sell and uh, I decided to reach out to the coach. And it was the, you know, I would say it's one of the top few decisions I've made in my life uh, to do that. And I'm glad that my dad and, and the people around me forced me to do it um, because it completely changed my life. So I reached out to him and he allowed me to be a student manager. Um, it was at Quinnipiac University, which is a uh, mid-major Division One school uh, in Hamden, Connecticut, about... I would say 20 minutes from Yale University. Uh, Most people um, that haven't heard of Quinnipiac, of course, have heard of Yale. So um, that's kind of how we describe it. We're right down the road from Yale. Um, You know, so I did that for four years and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I mean, I got to connect with some incredible people. Um, I got to be around, you know, the head coach who had come from UConn and won two national championships at UConn. Uh, I got to be around an assistant coach uh, named Scott Burrell, who who played at UConn, he's one of the greatest players in the school history, and won a championship with Michael Jordan in the Bulls uh, back in 1998. Um, and for those of you who watched the Last Dance documentary, he was featured in the Last Dance, and he's, uh, more importantly, on top of all that, he's a great guy and a great friend and just an overall good person to have in my life, and you know, I'm very grateful for him. Um, and his friendship. Uh, I met a few other coaches that, you know, proved to be mentors for me. And I spent four years um, being a part of a team, you know, uh, celebrating the wins, agonizing the losses, and, and getting those same feelings that I had when I was a player. Um, and it, it launched my career. You know, from there I went on and uh, I ended up being a college basketball coach full-time. It was my full-time job for six years. Six years I coached college basketball for, for my life. And, 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 again, got to have that competitive drive every single day when I woke up in the morning to try to, you know, beat another team. Um, and, and again, celebrate the wins, agonize over the losses, but, you know, I was driven by those feelings, uh, as good, as bad as they might be sometimes. Um, so just being around basketball, uh, not even as a player, um, after playing was was amazing for me and and i don't think there's a right or wrong answer there's no um, correct decision of of whether or not you want to be around a a sport or an activity or a hobby that's taken from you or not because everybody's different um i guess my suggestion for everybody would be to consider giving it a chance Um, as much as you don't want to consider giving it a chance consider being around it consider figuring out a different way to be involved other than playing So the next thing um, that I want to talk about here is is something that I think is really, really important, especially for young people that are diagnosed at a young age. And this was what was really hard for me because like I said, when I was a kid, um, I would say that basketball defined me. And I thought that basketball was my purpose in life. And and when you're a kid, you kind of just feel like whatever activity or sport or, or whatever it is that you do just completely defines you as a person and that could not be more wrong um, because there's so much more to life than what you do as a child as a kid as a teenager as a young adult there's so much more to life than um, th- th- than what you do during that time and I didn't understand that so when I got the bad news that I wasn't going to be able to play basketball anymore I felt like I had lost my entire purpose in life and the thing I didn't realize was this and this is the harsh reality for everybody Um, my basketball career was going to end at some point no matter what Um, it ends for everybody you take the guys that end up playing and having long successful careers professionally whether it's in the NBA or uh, overseas or whatever it is their basketball careers end. You know, for some people it ends at age 35, some people ends at age 38, for some people it ends at age 28, 27. For me it ended when I was 17 years old. So yes, it did end earlier in my life than I would have liked it to, but the reality is it's gonna end for everybody. And everybody's gonna have to figure out what that next purpose and what, what defines them in their life once they stop playing. And, and it's hard to understand that when you're in the middle of it. It's hard to understand that while you're playing. But looking back now, I understand it because I see my life now and I truly understand that basketball does not define me. It, does not, it did not make me into the person that I am today. It's, it's had an impact on my life, that's for sure. It still does have an impact on my life. Um, you know, like I said, I coached basketball for six years. I'm, I'm now a, a head high school varsity basketball coach part-time it's not a full-time job Um, so I get to do everything else that I'm passionate about on top of basketball but basketball did not and will not define my life and it's not my entire purpose in life and I think it's important for everybody to understand that that even if you have something taken from you whether it's a sport activity hobby whatever it is it's obviously not going to be easy It's going to take time to get over it. You're going to have those feelings of anger, sadness, depression, frustration, whatever. All those feelings are going to happen. But it's important to think, okay, what's next? What's next in my life? This was not my purpose. Okay, it's nobody's sole purpose to play a sport. Just because my career ended earlier than I wanted to doesn't mean my life is over. I still have so much to offer. I have so much life to give. And that's really, really, really important to understand that you are not defined by playing a sport. It is only a part of your life and you can have a great impact in so many other ways. So again, I was forced to figure this out uh, at a young age and I feel lucky to be completely honest that I was forced to find my purpose in life, which I think it is to do the work that we do within a heartbeat, um, raise the awareness of sudden cardiac arrest and CPR and AEDs and, and screen young kids' hearts and place AEDs out in the community and make sure the community is ready for a uh, cardiac emergency. I feel like that's my purpose. I feel like my purpose is to coach young kids. I feel like my purpose is to coach young high school athletes um, to make them better basketball players and better people. But again, I don't think it defines me. So I think, you know, if you're going through this, if you're someone that's recently been diagnosed and told they cannot do something anymore, you know, for, for safety reasons, for longevity reasons, um, it's hard. I completely understand it because I was there. But just remember, what you did and what you had taken from you, it did not define you as a, purpose, as a person. You have a greater purpose in life, and you're still going to do so many great things and impact so many different people in a very, very positive way. So that pretty much wraps up this episode, and you know, this is an important one for me. It was something that I really wanted to talk about, and I'd be curious to hear your feedback. Um, what it was like for you to have something taken away, and how you handled it. You know, what it was like. Um, it's really, uh, it's really important to understand that those feelings of anger, sadness, depression—they're not going to last forever. You will be able to figure it out. You will get over it, um, and you will figure out what what is next for you. So, um, reach out, please. Send me a message. Uh, send me an email. I'd love to hear, you know, what this process was like for you. Um, I think it's great to share. Um, how you feel so other people feel like they're not alone when they're having those feelings. So um, thank you again for listening. Uh, moving forward, again, I always like to kind of look into, the, look into the future here with the podcast to let you know what to look forward to. Um, we're gonna kind of keep mixing it up. We have some great guests lined up. We have some great topics. Um, if there's something specific you wanna hear, uh, let me know. We will either address it, um, I'll address it individually Um, If it's not something I think I have a great handle on, I'll find an expert that can address it um, better than I can. But we wanna cover everything. And again, the purpose of this is to help the listeners. Let's create a community, a group of people that are all going through the same things and support each other.
0: you so much for listening to a big heart a podcast about living with heart disease if you like this episode it would mean so much to me if you could give it a rating and a review on apple podcasts like anything in life the goal is to improve please provide any feedback you have any topics you want to hear or any guests that can provide value to our listeners you can message us on instagram at a big heart podcast or send us an email at mike at in a heartbeat Org. To learn more about In a Heartbeat and the programs we provide, please visit www.inaheartbeat.org. That is www.inaheartbeat.org.